Swamp 24-7 podcast. I'm Thomas Goldcamp. I'm joined today by Blake Alderman. We are one day past Florida's spring game, which means we are officially in the offseason as Florida prepares for its season opener against Miami. Blake and I today will be breaking down what we saw from the spring game in the Swamp, and uh, we'll kind of be giving you our perspective of where Florida football stands now that we head into the offseason and what needs to happen from here. But first, I wanted to tackle the issue of Florida's spring game which has tended to be kind of a little bit of a controversial topic over the last couple of years. Florida's really made an effort to keep the spring game very fun and loose as opposed to maybe getting much more competitive and serious and really making it a, a game-type situation. And that sits a little differently depending on where in the fan base you stand. You know, obviously our subscribers at Swamp 24-7 tend to be a little bit more of the hardcore fan. Uh, these are guys that keep up with all the recruits, all that kind of stuff. And so they know a lot of the guys and are looking at maybe different questions than your casual fan, which I would say is more, you know, the guys that are showing up to the spring game. And that's that's probably more what uh, Florida has tried to cater to making the spring game a fun experience. So I guess first off, Blake, what's your take on kind of how Dan Mullen has structured Florida spring games over the last two years? You know, I think in general spring games, they're just they're hot, man. It's it's long. You know, you're out there seeing you know, nobody's full go, nobody's hitting. But I think from the fan perspective, I think when you bring in some of these former Gators, you know, your Lido Shepherds, um, who was it? Uh, was it Chris Doring was the other one who caught a long mm-hmm. touchdown there. So I think when you bring little fun things into it, you have the, the guys doing a duck, duck, goose thing after a touchdown, little things like that. That's what's going to want to make fans, you know, sit there and watch it. They want it to be fun because already they're not going to see the big hits. They're not going to see, you know, the big dazzling things. The good thing is, is they had offense on full go to where you see stats and, you know, what was it? The highest scoring spring game in Florida history. You have a guy who breaks uh, the uh, receiving yards in one game too. And then you have some little fun things here and there. And I think it makes the fan experience a lot better to ask these fans to come out and sit out in the hunt, the hot sun at 1 PM and, and watch a, you know, an inner squad scrimmage basically. So I think that the little fun things do make it better for a fan perspective. And like you said, you know, the guys are coming this, you know, they're your diehard fans, you know, the ones who want to come out there and watch something like this. So, you know, I think overall it's a pretty good idea with that, but you know, I can understand where it may not be for everybody. You know, the ones who are like, you know, what serious all, you know, you know, oh man, I want to see these guys get after it. I want to see it be, you know, be crazy and, you know, this, that, and the other. But, you know, overall, I think it's, you know, it's supposed to be a fun experience. And I think that that's what they made it, you know, kind of a laid back, casual, fun thing where you just see them kind of get after it. Yeah. Well, I think, I think the argument from, you know, the people that would rather have a real serious competitive spring game is that you only get 15 chances to practice in the spring and you're kind of, you know, to their view, throwing away a practice when you have the fun type atmosphere. I think for me, what it boils down to is I think Dan Mullen is calculated enough to know what he's got from his team already. You know, he's been through 14 spring practices. He sees what he's got. He knows they've got an offensive line that's going to have some struggles. And so if you go out there and you try to run some serious competitive spring game, that may end up frustrating fans more than anything. You know what I mean? If if you go out there and you're allowed, uh, you're allowing Todd Grantham to call his full defense and really get after the quarterback, uh, not only not only is it going to be an ugly kind of game where you know neither team is scoring and you don't have this sixty to thirty five deal where Florida throws for almost eight hundred yards and Felipe Franks looks real sharp, you know you're having this disjointed kind of thing that Florida's had in the past with with previous coaches who struggled on offense and that left fans really grumbling and it just kind of it sets the whole tone 
going into the second part of the offseason with the summer program where suddenly, you know, players start to feel that, you know, it's maybe just not as um, it's not as encouraging going into the offseason, I think. And um, I think that Dan Mullen is well aware that this needed to be a scrimmage uh, or, or a game where, you know, they had fun and they cut it loose and they didn't necessarily torch the offensive line's confidence because they had a bevy of pass rushers coming at them. You know what I mean? Yeah, I think that's the thing. You know, Florida fans, they want to see offense. They want to see things explode. They want to see, you know, 327 passing yards, four touchdowns, and a long pass of 65 yards. That's what Florida fans want to see. And, and you know, it, it, I always see it as, you know, spring ball is kind of like an all-American practice to where your defense is probably going to excel faster. You don't have to remember as much. You know, there's not so much verbiage of, you know, plays, you know, there's not, oh, I have to run this route if this guy does this. It, it's just, it's simpler ball to play defense. So, you know, I think that if you did see that serious thing and you did let Todd Grantham let these guys get after it, I don't think you'd see the pretty picture on offense that a lot of fans came impressed to w- uh, with at the end of the game. Yeah, no doubt. And, and I think it's more, it, like you mentioned it too as well, the former players being back and making it fun for them. That's been a clear emphasis for Dan Mullen since he arrived, I think. You know, they've really, they've really put a premium on getting former players back and uh and getting them involved in the program and i think that that's very useful that's a that's a big picture kind of strategy that he's used to really bring back the vibe of gator nation when it was um you know really in its heyday so yeah. i i think i think that that's just um to me it's it's it really wasn't about having a competitive spring game it was about the bigger picture and making sure that you know the the, the whole vibe around a, a big recruiting day for florida stays that that positive energy you know, and to kind of piggyback off that too, the, with the former players coming back, I've covered Florida. Let's see, six years now, and I can't remember where the Pouncey twins came back and did the whole, you know, rocking around the field, taking mm-hmm. pictures with recruits, with fans, or whatever. Uh, Janoris Jenkins was there, another guy who hasn't really been around the program, and still Dan Mullen was there. So I think not only are we seeing former players come back, but we're seeing the fa- the players that fans want to see come back, the ones that maybe weren't there in the last couple of years from the last few coaching regime. Uh, regime. So you know, I think that. You know, every Florida fan loves Lito Shepard. They love the Pouncy Twins. They love Jack Rabbit. You know, all those guys that, you know, you want to see those guys there. I mean, if they had Tim Tebow out there to throw a touchdown, I think every fan would have fainted in the stands. Yeah, so, no doubt. you know, I, I think that that's, I think it's a good move. And I think that from the years that we've seen, not a lot of players come back, maybe not as many as now. I think that it just kind of shows that maybe Dan Mullen, like you said, is calculated and, and maybe does have an idea with what he's doing. Yeah, I, I don't think there's any question. So I guess, Blake, let's. Uh, I, I kind of want to evaluate what we saw from the spring game. I know the game itself, um, there's only so much you can take away from it because, like you said, it, you know, they, were, they were very basic in what, the, what they were running defensively. And obviously, you know, a lot of guys were out. You know, C.J. Henderson barely plays. Michael P. Ryan barely, barely plays. Um, but what did you see from the quarterbacks in particular? I mean, kind of all three of those guys from the scrimmage. You know, I was impressed with Felipe Franks. I think – just from the couple practices I've seen and everything I've read from you of practice reports on Swamp 24-7 Sports is, is, you know, he is a cool customer back there. He's not so erratic. He's not freaking out back there. I mean, again, I know it's a spring game and I know it's not full go, but, you know, he just seems very accurate with his passes. He seems a little bit more cool and collected. If he's going to throw it away, he's not trying to force something that's not there anymore. And I think that that was probably pretty impressive to see. You know, the one interception he threw was – you know, was was Toledo Shepard, and that was very scripted. So, you know, I think when you have a day like that, and obviously the defense was was in check some, I don't think you're going to see him come out and throw 13 of 18 passes for three for just under 330 in every game. But you know, I think it's it's just shows 
from watching him throw it, it seemed like when he wanted to put the ball somewhere, it was there. No doubt. I, I, so there were a couple takeaways for me. You know, one, we kind of asked Dan Mullen after the game about it. You know, what can you really take away from that? And he said, basically, look, we were only calling four defenses, which means a veteran experienced quarterback should be able to find the mismatches and take advantage. You know, Felipe Franks knows if CJ Henderson's not out there and he sees a walk on or, you know, somebody that he thinks he can pick on, he's going to go to that. And talking to the receivers after the game, they said the same thing. They said, you know, he's a guy now that can make some of the checks um, pre-snap to know where he's going with the football against a certain coverage look. And I thought, that was something we never saw from Felipe Franks really before the end of last season and before now. And I think we've seen it all spring, and that's why we've been writing about it and, and saying it constantly. But for the fans to see that, even against a very bland vanilla defense, I thought was really encouraging. I, I thought, you know, he didn't take a step back. Um, he was just very efficient and productive. And I think the more that he gets comfortable doing that, even against basic defenses, the more you're going to start to see him get that against more complex looks. And those when he starts trusting those, that's when you can really open up the entire offense. But then the other thing I thought was, I just think Felipe Franks is throwing the ball better. You know, he's made some adjustments on some throws. I always thought when he was a redshirt freshman, what stood out to me was he struggled um, on the timing throws. You know, he could throw the post over the middle. You know, he could throw the digs and stuff like that. But it was those out routes, which have to be, you know, really well-timed. You saw Kyle Trask throw a pick on one in the spring game, the out routes, the corner routes and, and deep fly balls. Really. I think those are the three routes that he's always typically struggled on. And I thought throughout the spring, Frank's got a lot better on those, which to me means he's getting much more comfortable within the system. And you know, to piggyback that off too is, you know, this time last spring, it was a true quarterback competition. It even stretched into the fall with Felipe Franks and Kyle Trask. And and to say that interception that Trask threw to uh, Jonathan Huggins right there on that out route, you know, that was a throw that you would have seen Felipe make and get intercepted this time last year. And I think that it shows that maybe there is a little bit more of a gap. Well, not there is that there is a bigger gap now between them as, as far as a quarterback battle now. And I think that that shows that maybe Felipe has excelled a little bit more and he really has started to kind of pull that away because, you know, again, this time, even last fall, he was making those throws still. And even above and beyond football. I mean, he's just, he's a different guy right now, personality wise than we saw before. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm not saying that Felipe Franks is now immune to criticism or social sure. media, um, kind of backlash, but he really, to me, he just seems different in that he, he's kind of letting that roll off his shoulder. It was funny. He walks into the post game press conference yesterday and Dan Mullins giving him all kinds of crap because, you know, Frank's has some wide V neck shirt on that looks a little goofy. Super deep. Yeah. And so, and Frank's is just kind of laughing at him. Like, what are you talking about, man? Like, whatever. Um, so I, I got a good kick out of that, but I, I just think he's, he's so much more confident that, that to me stands out as the biggest reason he's far and away the number one quarterback. And I think that even goes to just competitiveness that Dan Mullen has put in the program. You have guys in there that you give them that dog mentality, and they may not care what they put on Twitter or, or whatever, social media. They might not care. I, I remember a couple years back, it was like anything bad you said about Felipe Franks on Twitter, he made sure to like like it and retweet it and block you after that. So I don't <laughs> think he's the same person in that sense anymore either. So you know, I just think it, it just kind of goes back to the culture and the, the whole idea of the program to where those things can't bother you or, or it's going to make a, a – make your play bad. You know, whenever you think, oh man, if I throw this and throw an interception, all these fans are going to say this. He just doesn't seem like he cares anymore about that. Yeah, no doubt. And I think that's part of his, that's part of his progression. I think as a, as a, you know, not just a quarterback, but a guy who's been in college a little bit longer is a little bit more mature now. And, and kind of speaking about that, I guess 
Um, Emory Jones, I thought, um, has looked pretty significantly different throughout the spring. I think he's still a long way from being ready to step into that kind of starting role. Um, but what, what were your thoughts on on Jones from the couple practices you saw in, in the spring game yesterday? I thought he also threw a very accurate ball at times. And don't get me wrong, he's not a finished product. I mean, even when he came in from being a high school guy, he was a run first, throw second guy. Um, but I think that he's starting to get kind of molded in that. He had that interception uh, in the game. Um, but, you know, th- those are going to happen. Um, but I think overall, you know, two, inter- two uh, excuse me, one interception, 117 yards and two touchdowns. He did have two sacks in the game, but he's a guy who's going to be running around a little bit more. So I, I did think whenever he took off a couple times there, I was like, wow, you know, he's he's really dynamic. You know, when he wants to put his shoulder down and run, he'll take off. Yeah, absolutely. You know, Felipe Franks is the kind of guy that they can use as a power runner, but he's kind of a you know between the tackles type runner where he lowers his shoulders. Emory Jones is a guy that you're going to be able to roll out of the pocket, build some options off of that. You know, pitching the football, shovel pass inside. You look at the numbers: six carries for 38 yards. Uh, you know, two of those were sacks, so so a little bit better than that. Even uh, I, I thought he had a pretty good day and really just wrapped up a, a spring where you saw a lot of growth from him. Yeah, I think he's going to be a guy who flashes for now. I think that's going to be the term that we're going to have to say for him for now is that he can flash. I think when times you see like, man, this guy, if he learns the system and keeps progressing, he, he could be really good. So moving on to the running backs, Blake, I know it was kind of a weird day because the offensive line was banged up. You know, two of the starters were hobbling, Brett Heggie and Jean Delance both kind of were nicked up. So they didn't really run it quite as much. I, I was wondering if you had any anything that jumped out to you in the run game at all. You know, the one thing that did jump out to me was how Malik Davis cuts. You know, I know he was, a lot of these guys were in check. And I mean, he's a guy who's still coming back from that injury last year. But just looking at him run, I mean, he'll make you miss. You know, I mean, he's he's very elusive. I thought that, you know, coming off the injury, I don't think he really seems to be skipping a beat. You know, I think he's the same player pretty much that everyone expected him to be before that injury. So I thought that that was impressive. Another guy, too, that I thought stood out to me was uh, Iverson Clement. You know, I I remember him from being a recruit, and he was always a little bit of a smaller guy. You knew you were going to have to, you know, get him in a weight room, get him to kind of beef up some. But there were some runs there that, I I mean, he he was breaking tackles. So I thought he was really aggressive when he he was running. There was a couple times where I saw him out there, and I'm like, who is that guy running the ball? Wow, that's Iverson. Man, look at him dragging guys. Yeah, and you don't expect that when you see him at first, like you said, given his size and all that. And he's he's kind of more of a, uh, a striding runner, if that makes sense. He's not necessarily the really quick, explosive cuts, but he he's kind of fluid. And uh, he's a guy that, I, to me, I don't know where the touches come for him because you look at that running back room. You know, P. Ryan barely touched the ball. I don't even know if he had two carries two, yesterday. Two for so, six yeah. yards. And to me, he's 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 going to be more of a bell cow back for Florida this year than Jordan Scarlett was last year. Uh, you know, those two were basically dead even split in terms of carries and yardage. And I think this year, P. Ryan is going to be a clear number one in terms of how the reps are distributed. I think the interesting thing coming out of spring is, like you mentioned, Malik Davis looks really good. Guess what? So does Damian Pierce. I mean, you're looking at the numbers, six carries, 47 yards, and his longest carry was 11 yards. So he's averaging nearly eight yards a game in the spring game uh, behind a, a not great offensive line. I think that's your power guy. And it'll be interesting to me to figure out I don't know how you balance who gets more carries between between Pierce and Davis. There's a lot of guys on offense right now when you look at Florida's offense. There's a lot of guys where you know, you're talking about the running back room and how it's like, man, how are we going to get these guys enough touches? Then you look at all the other guys on there. You know, They have a loaded wide receiver core. You know, Kadarius Toney can do a lot of things. So I think Dan Mullen has a really nice problem on his hand where it's like, man, I have a lot of guys that can do a lot of different things with the football. 
Absolutely. I mean, you start looking at the receiving the receiving core and the numbers they put up. Obviously, you're going to have a lot of guys with big numbers when you throw for almost 800 yards. But I, to me, that that stood out throughout the spring, just how many guys they have. And I think you're seeing the huge numbers. You know, Trayvon Grimes has four catches for 195 yards, a couple of touchdowns. I don't think you're going to see guys put up those kind of numbers in the fall because I think Dan Mullen wants you to have to defend every spot on the field. And throughout his career, that's kind of been the case where he's preferred to have six guys that he's proven in games can handle catches and doing this and that um, to where defenses can't shade a guy and double cover him. Because if you do, you'll get burned elsewhere. I agree. You know, I think Kyle Pitts is probably the most notable guy that kind of backs that up because I mean this is a guy who came in as a tight end and in high school I mean the uh, the offense they ran he was a blocking tight end and then he gets to Florida and you see him line up at all these different spots and I mean he is a freak so I, I think that even through the recruiting that Florida has done getting those kind of h-back type tight ends in there that can move around you know Mullen he just likes guys that can make mismatches that are good football players that can move around and kind of have that that high football IQ to where they know that if if I'm here, I can do this. Or if I'm over out wide, I can do this. Or, you know, I, I think that Kyle Pitts was a guy that all spring has, has stuck out to us. Uh, Trevon Grimes, like you said, with, with his two touchdowns and 195 yards, that was really big for a guy that wasn't super involved last year. I think that that was kind of his coming out party was in that game. And another guy too, that really stood out to me was Freddie Swain with his two touchdowns, 115 yards and five, uh, five catches. Uh, I, and then he had the little punt after one of them it was a really <laughs> nice punt too. So I, I know, uh, you know, if they ever need a backup punter, Freddie Swain could probably Watch step out, in Tommy there. Watch out, Tommy Townsend. Yeah, right. <laughs> Townsend brothers about to get run out of town. Yeah, I'll tell you. I, I was watching one of the practices this spring, later later in the spring. So I mean, this is after we've seen the guys a bunch, and the receivers were going through some drills where they were running routes one on one against DBs. And Trayvon Grimes gets up, and you're looking at him, and you're just like, man, that is a big guy that is going to be hard to cover, right? So Trayvon Grimes runs through his reps, and you're like, man, that that was. He's an impressive physical specimen. Guess who goes after him? Kyle Pitts, right? Okay, and you're like, okay, suddenly you're looking at a guy two to three inches taller, probably has, I don't know, maybe 20, 30 pounds at least on Grimes, and can run just as well. I mean, like you said it, Pitts is the guy to me that circle him, uh, you know, underscore him. He's the guy that's going to be an absolute nightmare for defenses. He was he was that way throughout the spring. I remember, you know, there was one practice. He he ran a deep route against Chris Steele, who's, who's very, very talented as an athlete, very gifted athlete, and still had great position underneath, was phased with them perfectly uh, down the field. He just couldn't get around Pitts. That's how big he was. And Pitts showed soft hands, made the catch, uh, huge completion. I think you're going to see a lot of that. I think Kyle Pitts, in some ways, is going to end up being an extension of Florida's run game because he can run a slant if you put a smaller guy on him, and he's good enough as a route runner and with his body size that he's going to turn that into a 10-yard gain every time. And we saw that a couple times in the spring game. I thought that was pretty impressive. You know, this all this time we're talking about all these different wide receivers and still Tyree Cleveland, 74 yards and two touchdowns. You know, there are so many guys that are in Florida's wide receiver core this year that, you know, it's almost even kind of hard to keep up with all the guys there because they do have a lot of able-bodied guys that I think you're going to see step out this year for them. No question. I mean, we didn't even talk about Kadarius Tony, who's a guy that... That not guy, too. He, See, there we go. Not only can he play receiver, he can, you know, take a reverse off the opening play and throw a 40-yard pass to Felipe Franks. Yeah, I just think this Florida offense, you know, it all comes back to the O-line. You know, we, we've talked about that quite a bit. Um, but this 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 skill position group, I think, is as talented as I've seen at Florida 
I would venture to make the case since even 08. You know, 09, they had a lot of guys back, but you lose Percy. Um, you know, I, I, I think this group can be as good as that, um, that 08 team. So I guess we've gone through the entire spring, and you've obviously seen, you've been at every practice from one to all the way to the spring game. And we have said on this podcast and on the site many times that this team will go as far as the offensive line will take them. We, we have said on here, too, that the first team seems to be, you know, they seem to check the boxes. They've been banged up. What did you think from just kind of spring one or spring practice one to the spring game, just seeing the entire group? Again, I know some were banged up, but what do you see kind of carrying into the summer and into the fall? I mean, it's a concern. It's a big concern. I mean, we'll start there. I think the starting unit, I think, was better than I thought it would be going into the spring. I think that you're you're seeing guys there that have been around in a college football program for a while. And so you don't have to coach them up on some of the little things and the studying and stuff like that. If that group is able to stay healthy, I think the ceiling for the Florida offense is pretty high. The problem is you've got a couple guys in there that have never really gone through the grind of a season. They've never played 70 snaps a game and then done it for 12, 13 weeks in a row. Brett Heggie's a guy that has played really well in some stretches, but seems to come down with a season-ending injury every year. He's a guy that was dinged up at the end of spring. Um, so I, to me, the biggest problem right now for Florida is that if you lose anybody, you're immediately playing a true freshman. And I, talking to Dan Mullen after the game, it's very clear that he's going to go after somebody and that Florida needs to be able to land somebody in the transfer market. You know, I, I would agree there too. You know, especially at tackle, it seems that they're very thin at tackle. Yeah, I think, you know, I think they've got some guys coming out of spring that they feel okay with, can play both. You know, TJ Moore was a guy that bounced inside and outside. I think Richard Guraj probably struggled a little bit more than they expected this spring. And so that if you, you know, if you're looking for um, positive reinforcement there, I'm not sure that Florida staff got it. Uh, having said that, you know, I think, I think that, like I said, the starting unit is capable. I think they need two to three more guys to step into that range of the guys that can be played as the sixth, seventh, and eighth guy. I do think Kingsley Egokan did a really good job. I think he's a guy to keep an eye on. TJ Moore came along at the end of the spring. So you've got some signs there. I think if you can add a graduate transfer who can play right away and is an experienced guy who can help those guys, the younger guys, study and, and really get used to um, knowing where they're supposed to be, I think that would really help because that's the biggest issue right now is it's not even necessarily a physical issue, although with four true freshman guys in there there's a lot of physical work that's needed the biggest issue is slide protections are a bit of a mess right now guys just aren't used to having to understand how one defender moving cues you into what another defender is likely to do and so you'd see guys whiff on you know stunts and stuff like that throughout the spring to me the the mental aspect is going to be where florida's offensive line really has to grow and I think we can both agree that the summer is going to be a big stepping stone for this offensive line as they continue to kind of, you know, keep their nose in the playbook, you know, keeping those offseason workouts. So uh, those guys are really going to have to work hard this offseason to be ready for the fall. Yeah. And in fairness, I mean, they were going against the defensive line that at least we think should be pretty good. You know, you sure. never really know in spring because they're going against a unit that you haven't seen play live. But right. I mean, you're talking about the Zach Carter, I thought had a really good spring and really kind of flashed some last year. You know Jabari Zuniga is going to be really good, and obviously the line struggled with him throughout the spring. Um, but, you know, Andrew Chatfield, again, I thought flashed some in the spring game. John Grenard was really good in the spring game. He's a guy that they added from Louisville. 
He right. seems very smooth. He seems yeah. like you wouldn't if, if you would have told me if I was just a regular Joe Blow whatever and you told me that mm-hmm. that was a transfer guy, I would have thought he had been there all four years. It seems like he's been there his whole time. Yep, and that was clear from day one. I, you know, he's not going to be the kind of explosive motor guy that Jakai Polite was, but he's a guy that just always seems to be in the right position. So I, I think you expected that O-line to struggle against this defensive line group. Now, what you hope to see, you know, come August, whatever was it, August 24th against Miami, is that Miami also struggles with those guys. You know, that that it's not a mirage because Florida's O-line is that bad, but, you know, they're actually, we're going against some good guys. And if that's the case, I think on both, you know, I, I think on both lines of scrimmage, this spring would have been really healthy for Florida in that regard. No doubt. You know, I think, and it's hard to tell too what kind of defensive line you have in spring because they're tamed. You know, you can't be full go. But, you know, from that scrimmage and, and what I read from whenever you were at the second spring scrimmage is that I think Zach Carter might be some problems for some guys this year. Yeah, him and him and Chatfield, I think, are going to be the two to really watch for, you know, in terms of guys outside of the, the guys we already know. I, I do think that the huge luxury Florida has is you've got a veteran linebacker behind those guys and David Reese who absolutely knows what he's doing on every play. And I think, you know, you're able to see that a little bit in the spring game, but um, when you have that kind of guy, you really can count on that back seven and that front seven playing fairly well in sync, I think. Yeah. And I, I think David Reese being there again this year is good for Florida's front seven. Like you said, with just a lot of new faces in there, you have a guy who's going to be able to kind of help them out. I, I remember, um, I think it was a media day or something a couple years ago when CC Jefferson was, I think he might've been a sophomore or something like that. And he said that, uh, you know, half the time I didn't even know what I was doing. I used to turn and ask John Bullard, Hey, what do I do here? <laughs> so, you know, having that experience on those guys that when you throw them out there, that they may not know what they're doing, having someone there be like, you do this, that, that's really helpful whenever you're being thrown in the fire. I mean, shoot, just look at the Kentucky game last year. You know, I mean, I think that game goes totally differently if David Reese is in there. And I think even even a veteran guy like Boshan Joseph, I thought his play was significantly better when you had a veteran in there like Reese to just, like I said, just communicate well and kind of calm everybody, make sure everybody knows what they're doing. Uh, I, I think I think he's going to be a huge part of Florida's defense. Uh, and it's going to be needed because I think you still have some question marks at safety. And I think that's the biggest thing. A lot of people came away from the spring game worried about that safety position. That was actually what I was about to say was, you know, defensively, we talked about the front seven there. But when I left, when I watched the spring game, I was there kind of with a little bit of head scratching on the safety position. Some of those guys look like they're still a little bit out of position, that they're still kind of getting tied up back there. And I think that is a concern this year for Florida. I'll say this, though. I, I was a lot more concerned watching the game than I was once we talked to Dan Mullen after because he didn't really seem super concerned. And I think, again, when you talk about them playing some of those vanilla coverages and all that, that really impacts sure. them. You know, the, the veteran offense with veteran receivers and a veteran quarterback who know which option routes to hit against a certain zone look, sure. they're going to do well. So I don't know that I'm as concerned. I think you'd still like to see somebody other than Brad Stewart step up. Brad Stewart had a really good spring. Um, even he was made a couple mistakes in that spring game. I think Florida's got to find another guy to pair with him. I'm just not sure of the upside with guys like Donovan Steiner and Quincy Linton. Um, you know, Juwan Taylor's serviceable, but a little bit more limited. Um, to me, that's a position that Florida needs to focus on in recruiting or maybe even look to move one of these younger uh, freshman defensive backs over and give him a shot. And the luxury is, too, is that, you know, Trey Dean is one of those guys that could play safety. I know he's their star guy, but... You know, Florida does have some guys that they can plug and play in there. And I think if they needed to, absolutely, they could throw Dean back there, too. And I think he could be serviceable. 
Yeah, absolutely. I think Huggins, you know, is another guy that can do that for sure. I mean, between those two, I think you've got two very capable nickelbacks. So as long as one of them doesn't get hurt, I think you're in good shape to do that. You know, we didn't even see Jaden Hill this this spring. He was out with the torn ACL. He's a guy that physically, to me, looks the part. So I, I think I think overall, when you're coming out of spring, you're looking at Florida, and you have just you, there's definitely question marks. You know, the the O line is a huge question mark. Um, but I think that the Florida staff really knows what they have at this point, which is so different from last year. True. You know, when you yes. come out of spring and you're still, you know, they're still trying to learn guys' names, to be honest with you. Um, <laughs> hey, what's I mean, that what's, tape on your helmet say, boy? <laughs> yeah, right. What's, uh, I guess, how, where do you, I mean, we're coming out of spring, Blake. Where do you see this team right now? And, and what um, what's your kind of big picture outlook for, for next year based on how spring went? You know, I think they take a step back from last year. I, I think – you know, nine wins, eight wins is kind of where I'm at right now. And I, I'm only there because I'm not really sure how the offensive line is going to hold up. You know, like you said, one injury and we could be talking, you know, Ooh, what's going on with this position group? You know, I, I think that the O-line could take this team to 10 wins. This O-line could take this team to seven, eight wins. You know, I think that that is ultimately where I'm at is just it is a big question mark for me. Now, don't get me wrong. I think they have very capable offensive linemen. I, I think that they have guys that, like you said, they know what they're going to get out of them. But when you go back to the second string and you start looking at guys, kind of maybe some rotational guys, I think you get a little hesitant there wherever you're going to throw those guys into the fire. And, you know, these are things that are going to change from play, you know, practice and games and, you know, the grind of the schedule. And they could find someone, you know, in two, three weeks of the season and think that they've got a guy that they can count on. But for me, I think the team takes a small step back. And that's just maybe because of the, uh, the offensive line. But, you know, like we've said, you know, these guys have enough skill players to you know, if they have to win a shootout, then they can win a shootout. And I, I think, too, that Dan Mullen is smart enough to know that if his offensive line isn't going to give his quarterbacks enough time, he will script things to where he gets the ball a little faster, maybe not as many drops back. You know, you know those quick slants to pits like you mentioned. You know, there are a lot of options there, but for me, I'm a little hesitant on where the offensive line is going to take them. So until then, I, I think they take a little step back this season. But I don't know that I'm completely sold on that because – you know, there's just a lot of question marks here. You know, it, let's say the offensive line is serviceable, you know, and they've got the same firepower on offense basically they did last year. You know, I think they could be right where they were last year. So it's it's a little bit of Jekyll and Hyde for me because I just don't know what the offensive line is going to give them. And maybe you've seen way more practice than me. Maybe you can kind of, you know, jump off of there, maybe give something else. But for me, I think the offense, this team will go as far as their offensive line will take them. Yeah, I think you're absolutely right, and I think you nailed it when you said Dan Mullen and his staff know what they're—they know what they're going to get with the offensive line. Now, they may not know where that group ends up finishing or sure. how capable they end right. up. Right, you can't. You're not but unless you know, got a psychic on the team. Right, and I think that they—I think the important thing is they know enough about it now to know how to game plan for those first couple games, anticipating that the O line is going to be a struggle. And I think that's what you're going to see Florida do. You're going to see them go a little bit more up tempo. You're going to see them get the ball out quick. And just rely on just churning out first downs rather than necessarily being the finished product, explosive offense you'll see. And then, you know, just relying on a defense that's mostly bend, and bend but don't break until you find those guys, you know, like your Ja'Kai Polites, your Chauncey Gardner-Johnsons that you can really start to build the defensive scheme around. But I think we're going to see a Florida team that, to me, knows what it's doing and has much more of an identity than we saw in year one. And I think coming out of spring, that should be pretty clear for Florida fans. You know, they've got a veteran quarterback. You've seen what he can do. The, the improvement to me is crystal clear. And I think coming out of spring, that's a good, good place to be if you're a Florida fan. Absolutely. You know, when you look at 
what they have, the pieces they have. And I think you've mentioned it a lot on this show is that they know what they're getting in their players. And I think when you know what your roster can bring for you, you know what to get out of them. So I think that that's going to be the thing there. And I think whenever they whenever they come out against Miami week one, I think we're going to see a lot of those dink and dunk, move the chains kind of things, and, and maybe just, you know, just flat out up-tempo them to death. All right, guys. Well, that's going to wrap it up for this episode of the Swamp 24-7 podcast. We appreciate you guys tuning in. If you like the show, be sure to give us a like on your platform of choice. Tell your friends about it. And we will be back in the near future. 